This is Agents Influence Podcast. The situation is, and remember, I'm from the carrier side, so you've got to take that as a little bit of bias, maybe a lot of bias. I said the, the situation is that you guys in the Selexus Nexus Insurance Exchange, you are building the most beautiful, the most beautiful football field. The grass is gorgeous. The goalposts are just shimmering. But you know what? I've got the god ball. So you have got to figure out a way to incent the carriers to play. Otherwise, you're just going to be mowing the hell out of that grass every day. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently. Change your agency. Change your finances. Change your family. Hey, this is Jason Cass back with you again with Agents Influence Podcast, part of the Grow Podcast Network, where you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us even on Google Play now. Uh, We're trying to expand onto iHeartRadio and some other things, but right now, those are the three main spots where you can find Agents Influence Podcast. You can also find Insurance in Your Words, which is done by Joey Jingola. You got to listen to it. It's a fantastic podcast. Uh, it's, It's getting a lot of rave reviews, and I mean that, a lot of feedback. We've been getting a lot of feedback here from uh, to continuing on on the uh, the veteran insurance professional series uh, the VIPs and today we are going to have on Mr. Barry Rabkin and I'm going to get to him here in a minute but I want to let you know this is a unique guy he was sent to me from Bill Wilson who was one of our first or second VIPs that we had a lot of great feedback from him Uh, you may remember he was uh, instrumental in the virtual uh, university that's done by the big eye a very 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 educated man and I encourage you to go out and look at his stuff because uh, he writes some articles that you could really use for uh, against your clients, like telling you what's the bad in the GEICO policy versus the other policies out there that you're probably writing. So in the meantime, I want to uh, just state that thank you. Uh, find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Thanks for the reviews. Thanks for everything that you're giving to us. We greatly appreciate it. Don't forget, it's Grow Lab 2017. That's going to be in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina on October 24th and 25th. And now as we continue on, I want to let you know, we got a commitment from Billy Williams. If you remember the podcast two or three uh, weeks ago, that was phenomenal and blew up agents influence feedback and, and literally over a thousand downloads in one day um, on that podcast. It was incredible. And uh, he has agreed to come to, uh, uh, to Grow Lab. Now you may be saying, well, wait a minute, uh, Jason, you said you're not having any consultants or speakers. You're right. We're not. We're paying them and their fair fare to come and be a part of the event. Like literally sit down for two days and be a part of that event so you're getting some firsthand action. We've got two more surprises coming for you, but uh, it's not until October, so we got to save the power of the surprise. But in the meantime, we're going to get back on with the VIP series, which is sponsored by Rocket Referrals. That's plural, rocketreferrals.com. Check them out. Check them out. Check them out. I promise you're going to love them. And we're going into the VIP series with Mr. 
Barry Rabkin. Now, Barry's probably going to be our last VIP. I've got two other VIPs out there that I've been trying to get on the phone, but I'm just going to be honest with you. They act like they're so special, like they tell me when to call them in three weeks at 10 o'clock. And I'm like, man, uh, I may have another appointment. And this one guy said to me, if I'm important, then you need to make me important. And I basically wanted to say, that's what I wanted to say to him. But anyways, so here we are with uh, Barry Rabkin. Barry, welcome to Agents Influence Podcast, and thank you for being a VIP. Well, Jason, thank you very much. I just love the word veteran. It just makes me feel so old. Yes, you know, but it, but what, did you rather me say old, or would you rather me say veteran? That's a nice way of saying you're old, Barry. <laughs> that, that is true. It's just, you're a Midwesterner. It's very smooth. It's very tactful. It's very subtle. <laughs> you know, I used to always say old, and I said to this um, this older agent. I said, how do I say this nicely? And he said to me, he said, well, first of all, we all know what you mean, but if if you don't want to get a hard time, he said, say veteran. And I said, okay, I thought that just was like, you know, somebody who was in the military. So, but okay. Or or seasoned. You're you're seasoned. You're very, very seasoned. That steak looks great. Very seasoned. (laughs) Seasoned. That's great. So Barry, uh, before we get into who you are, Barry, are you a uh, iPhone or a droid user? I'm an iPhone user, baby. Uh, iPhone all the way. All fi- I, I, you just love it, huh? Is that all you've ever had? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, hell, you know, growing up in the insurance industry, I grew up with um, with IBM. And so uh, if you cut me for a long time, I would bleed IBM blue. But when I started my own company in um, the second half of 2014, I got the last, what I'll call the, the white screen of death off of my laptop. That's where you have that white screen. You can't see anything behind it. And you can't do anything with it. Well, I had already had and was using iPhones and the Nanos and the iPods, and I went, oh, that's it. So I just <laughs> I, I just trashed the Lenovo, and I've got a MacBook, and now I'm just entirely Apple. I also have Apple shares. I mean, if you're going to go in, go in. Uh, but I really love the iPhone. <laughs> that's awesome, Barry. Um, Barry, you want to tell us the last app you downloaded or a cool one you use a lot? Well, I, I use a lot of the news apps. I use C- CNN. I use the Wall Street Journal. I'm from the Boston area, so I use the uh, Channel 5 app. We really like their weather. Um, as every now and again, I'll move over to Sudoku if I really want to frustrate myself. Not as frustrating as golf, of course. I mean, I, I quit golf a long time ago. When I lost the seventh ball between the first tee and the second tee, I figured that was it. You know, nature is trying to tell me something. Uh, but Sudoku, I can find more interesting. Sudoku. Yes, and, and it's easy. You can just sit down and play it. That's exactly correct. You know, I, I want to, before we get into who you are, I want to, I want to ask you one more question I don't normally ask people. And I saw this on Facebook, uh, Randy Schwantz, you may know of him for The Wedge. The no. Book, uh, you, he's the book that he wrote, the book, The Wedge. It's a famous book on uh, on insurance sales. You got to check that out. Well, anyways, he was on the podcast, but I saw him say something in the, and LinkedIn. I want to get your hint, uh, your thought on this. He said, which phrase most describes you? And so, Barry, what phrase most describes you? Number one, I hate to lose. Or number two, I love to win. Which one describes you? I was going to say irascible and opinionated, but I guess I'll go with number two. Number two. So number two, number two was I love to win. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I think I'm going to add that in as a question to the thing of the people uh, that I ask the questions to. So I think, I think that that'd be a good one. What do you think about that, Barry? 
Hey, it's your podcast. All right, that's and a good thing. Add whatever you want. To that's add. that. That's a good thing. Um. So, anyways, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, take us back to. I mean, as far back as you want. Since you are a veteran, it might be a little farther back than mine. But uh, see, there you go, Barry. Barry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right after dirt was discovered. Uh, but it, but as you said in the beginning, when we were in this, you know, the green room, so to speak, I I am a different creature than probably most of the folks you've you've had on your podcast series. I'm from a carrier side, but to go back, I spent about 17 plus years in the insurance industry, actually working for insurance companies, mostly marketing and, and market research. And then about eight years as a management consultant to the insurance industry. And I've been an insurance industry analyst focusing on the implications of technology since 1997 having led the insurance research streams at the Metagroup and at IDC, and more recently at Ovum, which is a British firm. Now, who else would call an analyst firm Ovum? Um, <laughs> I, once, I once bumped into a lady at a conference, and I said I was from Ovum, and she said, does that mean you help women give birth? And I really was nonplussed, and one of my colleagues said that when I got back, she said, you really should have said yes. Um, but in uh, the second half of 2014, I started my own, uh, analyst firm. So I've covered all lines of business except for uh, reinsurance. I do know they are the investment bankers of our world, not to be rude about it, which it was during the financial crisis, but I realize that because uh, I spent 10 years at Aetna Life and Casualty back when, as I put it, Aetna could afford the ampersand. Uh, I was at Aetna when Aetna sold absolutely everything. Um, and I really haven't touched reinsurance. As I said, I, I haven't touched workers' comp that much, which is another universe unto itself. And although all of my analyst colleagues and the various firms will tell you that I continually told them I am Barry, I do not touch health insurance, Rapkin. I was in the health insurance area when I was in the insurance industry. I just think that health insurance like reinsurance and workers' comp are worlds onto themselves. And I don't touch them because, well, I have a life. So <laughs> I, I look more at property casualty and life insurance from the standpoint of how can technology impact insurance, commerce, channels, customers, and markets, I tend to focus a little bit more on property casualty than life, because as an analyst, I've learned a long time ago that PNC insurers tend to spend more money than life insurers on tech and the application of tech. And I think the, even though I started off as a life insurance actual student, I only passed two tests. I wasn't smart enough. I went into marketing. Although I do tell some audiences, I either couldn't become an actuary because I had too much personality or I became a marketeer because they, because I do have too much personality. Um, I, like I just, that. just, I look mostly at PNC than life. And I spent a lot of time on the distribution side. I just finished an engagement for applied systems looking at, they wanted me to tell them what I thought. How did I think that the 2020 UK SME PNC or the commercial insurance space would play out? Basically, when you look at E-Trade, it's it's like you know, it's an insurance exchange. It's, it's, you go back to Win, go back to Blue Mountain, go back to whatever. All these things that either the brokers think are going to work, they don't, or that someone like Nexus Nexus thinks is going to work, it doesn't. Uh, but they but they keep on trying. And as as someone has had as much well, not as much, I'll say eight years of management consulting experience, I understand where they're coming from. Because our business is really nothing but information. That's all it is. There's no tool and die. There's no equipment. It's all information. It's all data. So if you look at it from a from a very you know from a third party sense, it's like, well, why aren't there 
insurance exchanges? Why isn't all this happening through exchanges? Why isn't all this happening through apps on a mobile device? Hell, why isn't this all happening in holograms? But you, you could see where if you look at it as just a stream of data that, yeah, the exchanges make a great deal of sense. And then, of course, you get into the realities whether it is the regulatory realities, whether it is the agents or brokers themselves saying, hey, who's carrying the E&O? Who, who's carrying that? Am I still responsible for that if we use an exchange? And, and then you look at the balkanization of the insurance segments, which we all know insurance is not an homogenous industry. Uh, hell, you know, there's, there's differences between personal lines and commercial lines PNC, and there's even differences in the three major types of commercial PNC, from small to mid-sized to large and jumbo. So it's it's a very fragmented marketplace and thinking that you can just overlay a technology interface or a technology foundation on that. It's a pretty, it's a pretty tough road to hope. It's I'm frustrated. Trust me. I'm frustrated. I've, I've been as an analyst and before that as a consultant surrounded by people in other industries whose industries move a lot faster. I even spent a, a little time at Bell labs back uh, between my graduate degree and before I got back into the insurance industry after I'd gotten drafted a long time ago and, and to see the speed of change and the speed of innovation in Bell Labs and then to come back to the insurance industry, it's basically like taking something that you're cooking on the stove and putting it into a cold ice water bath. You know, hey, stop <laughs> that cooking. Stop, hey, stop, stop. Freezing. Um, I, I think what, what really scared me the most is I'd started my career with John Hancock in the mid-60s. Yes, I'm that old as a summer actual student. When I got back to Hancock in, in 84, that's, um, they never would move the tower. You know, we were living in Glastonbury, Connecticut at the time. They, they, Hancock wouldn't move the tower, so we had to go to them. Uh, when I got back to John Hancock and I found that there were the same people that I knew in 68, nothing wrong with that, doing the same thing, that scared the hell out uh, of me. That's a problem. It's, you know, it's like, hey, when you know, if you're ever terminated, and Hancock eventually did get to its first purge, your your resume is going to look very clean. It's going to be one bullet, and <laughs> I think you should use twenty four or forty eight point font. This is what I did for thirty years. Make it pretty. Woo! Okay, very, so very, very. I'm, I'm, I'm taking. So I, mean, I'm, I, I look ahead, at things from ahead. a high level. I, I look at things from a high level. Um, and from a high level tactical level. And as I said, um, it's how technology might or could impact insurance channels and commerce and markets, not how it does. Because I think that's the purview of journalists and I respect them, but I don't want to be a journalist. I want to be an analyst, okay. which I, th I think our value add is looking out three to five years and discussing how it might. It's not very practical, but for some reason, Applied Systems and others have asked me to present at their various conferences. Okay, okay, Last okay. Year, don't, 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 go, don't, don't, don't go for it. We got, a, we got a long podcast here. I want to talk about what that three to five years looks at, but let's back up here a minute. Um, the first question I have is, what does it mean to be a, an analysis of technology? Well, you explained that for the last three or four minutes. Um, one of the things I just found absolutely hilarious is when the lady said, well, do you help women give birth? And you said no, but your friend said later that you should have said yes. That was hilarious. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm going to turn that into a joke, Barry. That was funny. Um, <laughs> I, I should have done that. But, you know, I work with a lot of Brits. It's surprising they even said that. <laughs> Uh, one of the, 
One of the things I want to say to you is, uh, loyal listeners, you've really never heard me talk about this, but this is something I think about all the time. If I had to tell you everything I thought about it, it'd be a lot more podcasts already. But here's the thing. <laughs> I think about the fact of, of, I think about health insurance and I think about workers' comp, how it's so, dedica- uh, so dictated by the state. And I start to think to myself about exchanges as well. I have thought about that many, many times, Barry. And, and what I want to just say is that I see where the issue coming in, one of the main uh, lines of business is property insurance. I know these loyal listeners and these veteran insurance professionals and these agents that are out there listening get this all the time. You go to your client, it's not about money, it's not about money, um, but they're trying to close on a home mortgage and you come in at twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred $1,400, the best quote you have. Um, you know, State Farm comes in at uh, 1500 or 1400 They're all coming in, let's just say, at the same price, doesn't matter. And the right. person, and person calls you back and says, hey, I want you to let you know you're the lowest and I mean, I've talked to the others and I really like you, Jason. But Jason, I need you to get to like eleven hundred or a thousand dollars, and I'm like, well, dude, this is the best. We discuss all the coverages, blah 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 blah, and he, and then the banker will call and say, listen, due to their debt to income ratio, we've got to get right. this down. So then, what's right. happening? And and you were seeing this with agent. I get agents that call me. They say, Jason, I have to drop coverage in order for it to get lower to a thousand, and then we have to come back, get the insured to come back, and then endorse the policy to raise it. Well, that's really really hard to do with some companies and. I don't want to get in depth with that, but I'm starting to see, here's what I think. I know America and we try to sell people this thing called the American dream and home ownership is a major part of that. I think when you right. start to stifle mortgages and homeowners and loans from being done, that's when the government's going to step in and that's when these type of things are going to end up on exchanges or be ended up as government controlled. Barry, what do you think about that? No, I, I agree with you. I mean, nature abhors a vacuum. If there's a marketplace to be filled either by the either by insurance companies or by the government, it, it's going to happen because home ownership is extremely important. And I understand what you're saying about DTI debt to income. We've um, we're moving. We're moving from Boston to Santa Fe, New Mexico next month. And when we applied for a mortgage first for the pre-qualification and then for the final qualification, that's what they're looking at is DTI. Yep. Um, not not that it was a problem for us, fortunately. Um, but it, it, it's a critical part of, of the equation. But on the exchanges, you really, you really have to look at it, I think, from, from both ends. I mean, some folks say, well, why don't you concentrate on the distribution channels, on the agents and on the brokers? And others say, why don't you concentrate on the carriers? But you can't because it's an entire ecosystem. It, it's an entire value chain from the client and by customer and I have a very weird definition of customer. It always got me into trouble when I was working in the insurance industry. I think the customer is the person who pays the premium. It's a weird idea. <laughs> I know. I understand that. But when you look at the entire value chain from customer or client all the way all the way through to reinsurer, if you want, uh, then you really have to take all of it into account. So when you talk about an exchange, you have to look at who is – how do you allocate the winningness of it? You can't just have the brokers win. I, I understand they want a fast sale. They want their commissions paid. They want to go on to the next sale. If there's any service, some agents want to get involved. Some agents say, all right, let the carrier or the claim adjuster do whatever. But it, can't, it just can't be the brokers that win. But it just can't be the carriers that win either. Everyone who's a player has got to win. And that's, I think, one of the problems with exchanges is that, yeah, of course, the 
the intermediaries, the agents, the brokers, the producers, whatever you want to call yourselves, of course you're thrilled about the idea because then you could see more coverages, you can see more prices, you can you can make a, a decision faster. But from the carrier standpoint, to paraphrase Greenberg in a very polite way, we are not going to be a comparison cell in a broker's matrix. And we made that a G-rated statement because I think Greenberg put it a little bit differently. So... Hold on, hold you on, Barry. To, hold on, back that up. So, what are you saying there that Greenspan said? You said, say that again. I got. I it, said Greenberg. 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 I think. Sorry. Yeah. When 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 Win first came out, the World Insurance Network, and they had the 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 brokers had the the courage or the chutzpah, whatever way you want to put it, to walk into Greenberg's <laughs> office and ask him if AIG would play. It, it's a good thing he didn't throw them out the what fifty, sixty, eighty floor window. Um, but he <laughs> he very correctly said we're we're not going to become a cell in a broker's matrix. So somehow, if you have an exchange, you have to do it in such a way that everyone wins. Maybe everyone won't win as much as they want. Maybe everyone won't get everything they want. But there's got to be a way for everyone to win something. Hmm. Wow. Whew. A lot of cold, refreshing beverages I'm going to have over the summer. Really digest. Yeah, really. I'm just, I'm just going to add one more up, more up to date, and that's on the okay. Lexus Nexus Insurance okay. Exchange. Go ahead. Um, when, um, and this is horrible. I'm getting old, but I should be getting old because I'm a veteran. Um, the <laughs> fellow who uh, to help uh, write a supporter from a technology standpoint came into my office in Boston, and he explained the idea to me about how they would take the submissions. And they would carry it to the bro to the carriers on a borough if that's what's needed, or if they wanted to fax it. And I said, "Look, the situation is, and remember, I'm from the carrier side, so you've got to take that as a little bit of bias, maybe a lot of bias." I said, "the The situation is that you guys in the Selectus Nexus Insurance Exchange, you are building the most beautiful, the most beautiful football field. The grass is gorgeous. The goalposts are just shimmering. But you know what?" I've got the goddamn ball. So you have got to figure out a way to incent the carriers to play. Otherwise, you're just going to be mowing the hell out of that grass every day. That is a great thing. And Barry, I, I don't really want to get too much onto it because I've talked about it over the last three or four podcasts. Loyal listeners, I know you know what I'm thinking about right now. But I've been saying to myself that for this industry to get good, the the insurance companies have got to back out of the way, become risk managers and turn everything else over to vendors and to what the agents and to what MGAs and large people can provide. These carriers can't provide the technology we need. And when they do provide it, by the time they get it out, it's old and outdated. These these people cannot, they can't, they cannot give the, uh, me the tools to create a customer experience. So where do I have to go? I have to go elsewhere to get that. I'm starting to wonder after a while why I have a carrier because they cause more friction in my life than they actually do help other than giving me a rate when I need to put in customer's information. So I think if we can get them to back out of the way, I don't have, they have the ball though. Just like you said, how am I supposed to get them to move? I think we go get bigger tackles and I think we go get bigger linemen like MGAs and wholesalers who have millions of upon millions of dollars and help them to push this company out of the way because just like you said a minute ago, they're going to make more money if they will allow me to increase my owner or my customer experience. And here's another thing, Barry, and I want to hear about you on this one. Let me hear about this one. What are these companies going to do that are invested in these independent insurance agencies that are sitting on three, $4 million in premium, but they're not growing at all? 
and you've got the agent down the road who's got five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars in premium, but yet he or she is growing and growing rapidly, applying for a contract from that same company, and that company is literally saying, "We want to give that contract to that fast-growing agency, but we're kind of invested in two, three, four million dollars in this agency." And I believe that is a big mud point for the insurance companies. Any thought on that? Well. Just, just sort of scattered. Um, the reinsurers are obviously getting more involved in the primary market. I mean, Munich Re, for one, is becoming basically a venture capitalist with their portfolio of these new, and I call them technology-dependent insurance startups. I refuse the word. I refuse to use the word insure tech, except for that one time I just said it. Just we're, we're going to we're going to um, talk about that next, Barry. But keep going. Keep I, going. I know that. Yeah. Um, so Munich Re is becoming a VC um, that is investing in these variety of, of startup insurance firms, and they are insurance firms. That regardless of what technology they're using, they are insurance firms. It's one reason why I really like Slice because Slice has come at it the correct, logical, reasonable way of getting their regulatory compliance in order as they've slowly come to market with their with their offerings. And yes, they've built their own platform for pricing. And yes, they have probably a ton of money from Munich Re, but Slice has come at it the right way. Nevertheless, so reinsurers are getting more into the act and they're, but how much are they changing? Um, I, one of the points that I make to probably a lot of people's consternation, heck of a word for this time in the morning or afternoon, is look at the league tables. By line of business, because we all know, as we said, insurance is not homogenous. So let's look at the league tables by line of business, whether it's Personal Lines Auto, which McKinsey and others are shouting our Personal Line Auto is going Going to the hills. I mean, you, you insurers have got to run to the hills because it's being taken over. I think there's an app on a, on a mobile phone that's going to do damn near everything, and, and we know you see you anymore, in which case you're in trouble because that's mostly a premium, which, of course, it is. But look at the league tables by line of business, whether it's last year, over the last five years, over the last 10 years. And so when I hear that there is a startup insurance firm and they're going to disrupt the market, my question is, when are they going to disrupt the market and how am I going to see it? Because right now what I see, and I know I'm jumping ahead and I'm sorry, but no, right fine. now what I see is, is a great PR machine. I mean, my God, if Public Relations Inc. was money, these startup firms would be uber wealthy, to use that word uber. Uh, they wouldn't know what to do with all that money. They'd probably be drinking champagne to water down their plants or something. But other than PR and marketing communication, what have they done? Yes, they're a startup, and I respect them for that. But are they disrupting the industry? Show me how. Show me the changes in the league tables. How long did it take Progressive to actually become a, hey, who the hell are they? Look at look where they are. How yeah, long did it take true. them to actually achieve that? And how long is it going to take the variety of startups that we see, even Slice that I like a lot, because I think Slice is right at the beginning of the curve of the on-demand society. I hate to call it the sharing economy because no one is sharing a damn thing. They're all charging for something, so they're not sharing anything. <laughs> but 
slice is on the top of the curve of this on-demand economy by saying, all right, so at one time you are having your own personal auto, and another time at the switch of, a, of, an, of an app, hey, now you're, you're in commercial auto, or you're in transportation, or whatever. Or at one time you have your own home, and now you're, you're going to have an Airbnb operation, so you're, you're a commercial risk. And, and thinking about how to, how to support those fusion or that split of from personal to commercial at at the touch of an app. That's why I like Slice Slice a lot. Well, let's talk about Slice. What, what is Slice? You keep mentioning that. I don't know what Slice is. What is this? I, I just assumed you knew. I'm I'm sorry. You're not reading my blog posts on LinkedIn. I'm sorry. We got to go. I, I got to sit. No. Uh, <laughs> slice Slice is a technology dependent startup insurance firm, and they provide insurance for initially for Airbnb type operations. So for people who have a home or an apartment and then they want to become an Airbnb host, you have to have insurance for that, as we all know in the industry, right? And also for Uber and Lyft drivers, you know, at one second, that driver is just a personal driver with his or her own automobile. And then the next they turn on the app and now they're an Uber driver, but they need insurance for that. Actually, they need insurance. A lot for of free companies are endorsing. A lot of companies now are starting to come to us and saying you can endorse the policy for that as well, though. But for which, if we're talking about Uber or Lyft, for which time period? There are three time periods that that transportation network company driver needs insurance for, not just for when they have the person in the back seat. There are three time periods, and of course, again, because I'm a veteran and old, and even though I wrote about Slice, I forget the other two time periods. But there are three time periods. But my point is that Slice created their own platform, but before they came to market, they worked with the regulators. They visited with the regulators, right. including you know Nick Gearhart, you, who you might know. Don't you Midwestern all know each other, for Christ's sakes? Yes, they do. Uh, but there you go. I thought so. My, you probably know my wife. She's from Missouri, so she's Midwestern. You probably I don't, know I don't, her. I don't know her, Barry. I really don't. <laughs> well, that's why um, she's old like I am. Uh, <laughs> but Nick helped them out, you know, in terms of advice, and, and I believe so did other regulators. So they came to market very, very slowly. They didn't break the law like Zenefits did. Oh, who needs 50 hours of training? We can we can build an app for that. Um, so they can think we took the 50 hours of training. Uh, so that's, I, I that's like why your I point. I like your point of uh, what are they disrupting? And I've 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 been thinking this for a while. The only thing they're disrupting are the money pockets of the VC. I think as long as they can start to 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 show growth, these venture capitalists are in this industry that have no idea what they're doing, and they keep funding 20, 30, 40 million dollars. And I'm just telling you, only half of them are. It's it's literally a bubble again. If if that when I I gave a presentation last year, and you don't want me to say to the applied systems applied net, so I won't. Um, I gave a presentation last year on trends in the industry, and when we got to the startups, I had a visual of baby sea turtles, thousands of baby sea turtles, having just been born racing their little asses off to get to the water to survive, if they can survive in the water. And to me, that's what the startups are. And I, and I do analogy. respect the startups for starting up. I really do respect them. But for them to think, well, you know, maybe you need to. Maybe if you're an entrepreneur and you've started one of these companies, you need to think that, hey, you're going to be one of those sea turtles that scampers out to the ocean and, uh, and avoids the uh, the predators who want to eat your little ass, and and you're you're going to grow up to be a big sea turtle, and you're going to survive. I I do respect that, but I think it's from for, as an analyst standpoint, it's like nah, it ain't going to happen. 
Okay. It ain't going to happen. Barry, so on LinkedIn, you caused a firestorm that I think they called Microsoft and almost got you eliminated from LinkedIn. I mean, it was very close. Barry. I, was, I, I, was, I was shocked. Barry, I really... it was on MSN, NBC, and everything. Uh, you know, Rabkin, yeah, almost right. got, Rabkin almost got ejected. <laughs> yeah. So here we go, yeah, Barry. Right. Here's what you said. So loyal listeners, hear what he said. Please find Barry on LinkedIn because you're going to see this thing got a lot of action. But to be honest with you. Yeah, 34,000. 34,000 views. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but also, Barry, there was a lot of people that agreed with you as well. So strange, but here's what Barry says. Strange, but true. There are people who haven't worked a day as an employee in the insurance company, but somehow believe they know something about technology and they call themselves insure tech experts or visionaries. Seems like a fraud to me. And then I'm not even going to go on in the comments, but I mean, there were people that just lamb blasted him, telling him blah, 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 blah. I've been in the industry for this long. Um, and I'll just give you one here um this guy here which actually said he actually completely agreed now what why i told barry i wanted to talk about this specifically is because i agree with him but i also disagree with him and so um the part that i disagree with him on though is barry I, barry and i didn't talk about this i wanted to keep this genuine for you listeners is, is, <laughs> yeah, where's the where's the cold beverage yeah i know that's what we thought we were supposed to be having cold beverages guys uh with this my wife's birthday i took the rest of the day off um but anyways and, and plus if you didn't know he's a veteran he doesn't work anymore um except as an analysis you can do that from your house barry uh the analyst, people analyst analyst, analyst 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 there's a difference there's a difference jason there are people who <laughs> haven't worked a day as an employee in an insurance company but somehow believe because they know something about technology they call themselves insurtechs that's where i disagree with you and the reason why is i think you're right in that but i also think one of the greatest strengths is getting people from outside this industry like apple oracle or whatever i'm seeing it at ivan's insurance they went and hired like four or five of these guys they're like in their 20s and and they brought them in and these guys are creating things for Ivan's insurance to release to management companies that are really really mind-blowing for instance if I give a submission to a company it comes with a tracking number that allows me to track it as it goes to the insurance company that's genius but guess what we never thought of that because we're so involved in our silo of this industry we call insurance we need the new blood I'm not saying we don't need the new blood we the, need the new blood and maybe I'm parsing words here it's the expression it's the term that i have a lot of trouble with okay i mean my entire career has really been whether i when i was in the insurance industry and when i was a consultant and since i've been an analyst my entire career is really based on my love of technology it sure as hell isn't based on my love of an industry that's millennium old let's get up and talk about insurance oh yeah that's exciting yeah thanks thanks a lot uh, no what gets me up in the morning is thinking about how technology can change the insurance industry. I don't. I, I love that. that yeah. That's great. It, it's the term that drives me absolutely bonkers. It, 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 and, and someone say, "Well, it's just a made-up term." Well, to me, it's not because to me, insure tech, as I've said way too many times over the course of the years I've been an analyst, means firms like well, generally means technology firms that sell their technology solutions to insurance firms. Those, to me, are insure tech firms. So yeah, I'm putting the emphasis on, on the tech part. So yeah, Oracle, to me, is an insure tech firm. Microsoft is an insure tech firm. So is Apple, so is Applied, so is Vertifor, so SaaS, so is Guidewire. I'm not gonna name all the thousands okay. of, of technology firms. Now, an insurance company, 
and I've had serious disagreement with people on this. Serious disagreement. I, I'm sure you're shocked because I'm so quiet and shy. You and really are. You really are. Yeah, I, you got to pull me out. You really do. Uh, I'm going to be the Don Rickles of the insurance set. Um, my problem here is the people who think that an insurance company somehow becomes a technology company or an insure tech company because of why or how they use technology. I've got a lot of problems with that. Maybe because I started out in the insurance industry and was in it for almost 20 years. Maybe because I've been a, I was a consultant and trained to be disciplined. No, an insurance company is an insurance company. It's regulated like an insurance company. You, you think the regulators really care if an insurance company is using mobile type of software or holograms or virtual reality or augmented reality? All stuff I'd love to investigate and talk about? No, they don't. They're still going to regulate it like an insurance firm. Even our friend Nick said what we really care about is the financial viability of the insurance firm. It would be nice if they use newer technology, but what's the financial viability of the insurance firm? So regardless of how or why they use technology, it's still an insurance firm. Now, the counter argument is, yeah, but see, if we still call ourselves an insurance firm, it's going to be hard to get the millennials and other younger generations to work for us because insurance is old. It's it's boring. It's, oh, my God, it's, uh, geez, it's getting lost in the weeds, and we're not going to be able to get the younger talent to which I say, suck it up, buttercup, that the younger people, if they're really interested in becoming in the insurance industry, they should come into the insurance industry. So, no, an insurance company stays an insurance company regardless think, of how or why it uses technology. I do not personally think that the financial stability of a, of a company is in my top 10 concerns um, when, I, when I sell That's policy. why you're a broker. No, I don't. I or, just don't. Uh, but Barry, that's not important. Why? Because all these companies are stable. I mean, I, since I've been in the insurance business, I've never had a company or had a buddy who had a direct line company that writes in the state of Illinois. Yes, okay, there have been. But I'm talking big time companies that we write with that folded and went out of business. I mean, I've never, I've, I've but, just never experienced it. Yeah, but they need to. Re they need to remain stable. They need well, to remain financially viable that's one of the that's one of the the responsibilities that a regulator has i mean there was one of these insurer tech experts that said that he either said that a regulator's like a regulator's responsibility is to look out for the consumer right or the primary one is to look out for the consumer and that's wrong it's yeah. back to the holistic perspective the insurance very, very, regulator very, very, has to look at the financial viability of insurers the insurance industry and the insurance companies as well as looking out for the customer no, and I agree. I agree, Barry. But what I'm saying is, is I've seen companies go from an A plus plus to an A minus. Yes, that gets my concern. My company lets me know. I can't. That affects my right. E and O. I get that. But I'm talking about really the fact. Be honest with you. If a, if a carrier goes from an A plus to an A minus, and I find that out, and that day I have a two quotes between those two. Yeah, okay, it makes a little bit of sense. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't. I'm going to go with that carrier because I think that they're good. Now I've now AM Best tries to tell me that they're going down or something. Yeah, okay. Hey, we're going to reshop them. I'm just saying initially with the carriers that I give for auto and home and commercial lines, I don't think necessary about financial stability, but here's the deal. It doesn't matter about me because my clients do ask about it. So you are right there, Barry. It is a concern. I just have to remember that it's not so much with me. Um, and so you're going to chalk it up. Another one to the old veteran. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I guess you say it that way. So, um, so I, mean, I, I love these, the, 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 our agency management system provider friends who have this risk appetite or the, the risk match or, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Say we can, we can measure at any instant in time, <coughs> excuse me, 
what the risk appetite is of the carriers that we're doing business with. And I always push back and say, well, first of all, that's good, but also maybe you're not getting the underwriter or the underwriter's attention in the carrier because you're giving them crap. So maybe that's sure. why their appetite for risk isn't the way you would like it. Interesting. So again, it goes back to that same discussion about the insurance exchanges. It's got to be a win-win for everybody. It does. You're right. You know, you're right about that. You are so right about that. And um, I, you know what's true about that, though, is that I think there's companies out there that believe in it's a win-win or they don't, and I think it shows through. I really, really do. There's those carriers that uh, I can just mention, and I'm just going to just mention one of them because it's a positive thing, Safeco. I think they believe in win-win, and the reason why you may, there's a lot of loyal listeners right now going, oh, I hate them, whatever. They provide more support to our management systems and to our agency system to learn and understand their product, and here's the thing I love about Safeco. They're trying to make you a better agent regardless they just want you to sell better as as a person and i really respect that and i think they're buying in on that win-win i love the other uh, the other companies out there that do not go uh, direct and they refuse to i'm not i'm not one of those people barry that hates companies because they do go direct i mean that really doesn't bother me it's a money thing they're trying to you know you're trying at my agency we're trying to come up with as many um uh, tributaries to our reservoir as possible and i think that's what they're doing so i get it i get it plus you know no one can be Jason. It's a business. It's a business. You know, Barry, it's a business. Yeah, it's a business. Hey, it's yeah, I a spent, business. I, I spent, I, I think it was more like four years at advising um, ADVISEN, a pure play commercial property casualty risk management firm. Wow. And that's where they hammered into me more of the total cost of risk. And they also introduced me to some of the concepts for CFOs and and risk managers, the, those types of concepts that weren't already hammered into me when I was a consultant, um, doing consulting for commercial property cash and risk management insurance companies. And for those risk managers of the large firms, you, you guys know, I mean, it's it's an attachment point game. If you talk right. about a, a Hewlett Packard or, or, or General Electric, they were talking about a finance game there. Back to our friends, the investment bankers, the reinsurers, mm-hmm. and, and some sort of an insurance stack. But those men and women are very expert at what they're doing. But that's not true of every uh, of everyone. True. Why did I Why did I bring that stream up? I forget. The veteran again. <laughs> I'll use that instead of old. So Barry, um, let me ask you this: Like, what would you, um, if if you were a young agent, or you were a, let me put it this way: You were a young insurance professional. We'll call them yips. A young insurance professional um, in today's world, and knowing what you know now, if you could tell yourself something. What would you tell the young Barry um, in 2017? That's a very good question. You should do podcasts. Um, <laughs> I would say that the insurance industry is is going to continue to exist through 2020, through 2025. Um, it's an industry that fuels, I just saw it on LinkedIn, but it's true. It fuels capitalism. It, insurance keeps the world moving. Nothing gets built without it. Nothing moves without it. Nothing really happens without it. So true. You, you're 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 helping families on on both the life insurance side and the personal P and C side. You're helping families deal with their exposures and helping them move move on. Um, I think it's a it's an incredible profession. I would just say that there are going to be changes ahead. Probably more on the broker side because you guys 
adopt will adopt and use technology faster than the carriers. I can hear someone out there saying, "Yeah, well, who doesn't use it faster than the carriers?" I mean, this is a, a, a this is a bag of molasses over there. There's yeah, three barrels right. full of molasses, but, and it's all frozen. It's like they, <laughs> yeah, but it's not like they don't use technology because they do. They spend millions, actually billions of dollars, as an industry, on technology, and some of the technology they use, like mainframes, mainframes, yes, like mainframes, um, they 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 feel they have to because it's more secure. And and the regulators will be on them as well if anything happens, you know, whether it's HIPAA or others mm-hmm. or other types of security and privacy concerns, they, they have to be holier than the Pope. They just have to be. Mm-hmm. But will they use technology in more innovative ways, whatever we mean by more innovative? I, I think that they will have to. Now, I don't know how fast. It's probably going to be slower than any of us would like, but they have to. Because the customers are going to demand it and the brokers are going to demand it. But until they have the budgetary wherewithal and the cultural wherewithal, I think it's going to be very slow going on the carrier side. So I would say just um, just understand what it is you're getting into. You want more MGAs. You want to have the power of the pen. What what broker doesn't want to have the power of the pen? And and, and probably larger commissions as well, right? Um, right. But the carriers have got to watch out for their, um, excuse me on this, financial viability. They've got to, they have to continually manage that financial stability. I mean, years ago, and I forget whether it was State Farm or Allstate, so I don't remember which, which one it was. But I think it was State Farm noticed a change in their earnings, in their quarterly earnings, that you probably needed an electronic microscope to see the change of. But it was because something Allstate had done. And so they decided to do something very similar, which was use predictive analytics for more segmentation for pricing. Now, right. it took a competitor to push them to do that. But but still, they they did it. They just move very slowly. Not as slow, probably, as the Catholic Church, but still slowly. <laughs> the Catholic Church. Good call on that one. Now, let me let me just say this to you. You brought up another good thing. Um, you know, uh, larger commissions or the power of the pen. I want loyal listeners to think about that. That got me thinking. Like, which would I rather have? I think I'd rather have larger commissions rather than the power of the pen. And I say that, and I think, oh man. Well, the thing is, people say, Jason, if you had the power of the pen, you could write things that they don't want to write. Well, first of all, that probably wouldn't work well because they'd probably go out of business because the power of pen would take the price down lower than the rate needed to cover the arrest and the exposure. <laughs> but the other part yeah. is, is even though you have the power of the pen, doesn't necessarily mean you can sell. So give me the larger commissions, and I'll go out and just work in the world I work in now, which makes me a good living, and I'll just. And you're more. Pr- it's probably hard for you to sell because you're quite an introvert in the wall flower too i i am i am it's very very it's very tough my wife sits to me and says jason please talk to me no she doesn't she throws things at me and says shut up um but you know i think that's important and then one other thing i want to put here i want to i want to throw this out barry you brought this to my mind and i think this is important for insurance companies who are listening right now one of the things that i think insurance companies are poor at when it comes to insurance agencies and what they could be doing with their marketing reps i made a bunch of notes here um explaining loss control explaining loss ratios how do they determine those a little bit more in depth than what they do their their expenses that they have um to uh, what's the other one i am drawing a blank here barry not their loss isn't ratio, the cpc the- isn't the cpcu 101 
No, I, mean, it, I started out as an actuarial no, 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 program, but, so we thought CBC was can't produce, can't underwrite. Yeah, but it, I still it, thought that the, those courses covered all this. No, but but who takes CPC? That's the point. I think that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for it to be for it to be done there, and it doesn't need to be done there because a lot of people don't take this. I think this is things that the average agent would want to know, and it would help them. I mean, obviously, trying to come up with contingent commission. How do you come up with that? What are their expenses that are figured into that? Why does risk have a rate? I'm going to tell you this right now, Barry. There are in insurance professionals that have been in the industry for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, they keep trying to get, you know, debits and credits are trying to keep getting credits and they don't understand the reason why they can't go lower is yes, it's the way they're filed with the state, but also they can only go so low because they have to cover the the risk actually does have a rate. And I don't think, I do not think that people understand that today. And then one thing you hit on, the world does not go around without insurance. If you don't have the bonding market stops, so does all construction showed us everything and I think that the person today and and I think if you would if you were an insurance company and you'd take an hour of a class and you'd explain those things I think you're going to help the conviction of the insurance professional to be able to help explain to the client more they may not listen and all that but it gives them a better foundation to be able to explain this is why this is these are a lot of questions that I feel I know a lot about the industry I don't know half these answers and I'm thinking to myself I I think the industry the industry, and I'm going to just talk about it as if, as if it's a homogenous industry, because mm-hmm. I think it's true for every line of business, at least that I've seen, both when I was in the in the industry and also consulting to it. The industry is abysmal at teaching the public, and from what you're saying, even their own agents and brokers, what the hell some of the basics are. And to the public, what what is the value add of insurance? And as one person on LinkedIn, one woman who was looking for a way to buy life insurance with biometrics and with data, and because she said that buying life insurance is a rather unpleasant experience. Well, yeah, maybe it's my bias, but somewhere along the line for some of the life products, depending on how much life insurance you want, they need the fluids. I mean, right. we don't have Dr. Spock's tricorder, so they need your blood and they need your urine. So I'm sorry, but is that unpleasant? I think it's unpleasant as hell, but you've got to find out another way. Now, a real short-term term life product, well, maybe with biometrics and data, but it depends on how much you want that base amount for. Oh, I'll have a $3 million term life. I don't think so, lady. No. Uh, so it's, Barry? yeah, it's unpleasant. Yeah. Here's what we're going to say. We're going, I want uh, you to wrap this up. Uh, but first of all, there's two things we got to do. Readers are leaders and leaders are readers. Are you a reader? And if so, what do you read? Yeah, I read. Yeah, I, I, I read a great deal. I, I read murder mystery What's the novels. last book you've read? I, I knew you were going to ask that. That's okay. Um, just think and, of uh, it. I just finished it too. I do like the James Patterson books, but I just finished a book that's the Amos Decker series. That's the character. I think that now I'm blanking on the name of the author, but it's Amos Decker. Um, and he's, he's a detective and I just finished, finished that. And, uh, now I'm looking for some others. I also like Kathy Reich's bone series. I was pleasantly surprised when they made a TV series about it. Kathy Reich's is, I think is a very, very good writer, uh, very detailed. And I also, when I semi-retire, because I'm still going to do, I'm still going to work as an analyst and do research about technology, but I'm very interested in the American Revolutionary War period, and I've got about 18 books yet to be 
spine just to be cracked. I've driven my wife crazy buying these books. You know, when are you going to read them? Well, when I semi-retire. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, but she's also interested in the American Revolutionary War period, so that that was uh, that helped. She's also interested in what we both call Chapter 2 of the American Revolutionary War, which is a civil war. Me, not so much. Um, and then the other subject that I'm very interested in getting into that I had looked into years ago, back in 2000, with David Bradford, one of the co-founders of Advisen, was complex adaptive systems and natural ecosystems, but more specifically, what are the lessons that insurance companies, the insurance ecosystem, can learn from complex adaptive systems? So those are the three things I want to do. Continue work as an analyst, writing about technology, the American Revolutionary War period, those 18 books, and complex adaptive systems. And I have, a, I have probably as many books about complex adaptive systems as I do about the American Revolutionary War. Wow. That's what I want to do. Okay. All right. Well, here's, here's, um, well, that's I'm fantastic. I'm going to 30 minutes ago for you. No, it's, You're going to be editing the heck so, out of this. No, I won't. I do not edit. Now, one of my podcasts has ever been edited. I do not allow that because I want, I want the, I don't want to feed people. I want them to hear the good and the bad. Now here, uh, the last thing here. Is, Where was the bad? Where was the bad? Uh, no, there, there, there wasn't. That's why I wouldn't edit it even if I was an editor. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, is, is I want to close with this also, which is a marketing moment uh, for um, our, our loyal listeners. I want you to think about golf signs. When someone comes in and says, hey, I want 50 or I want $100 for this golf outing, be sure to give it to them because you support your community. I know you do. But think about this. What about that junk sign they use? Most of the time, it's like some white cardboard golf ball, and then they print off on Microsoft Word, like the Insurance Alliance or whatever your agency name is, and boom, they like scotch tape it to that and stick it out there, and the wind blows it off, and it looks like junk. If you want to stick out, take this marketing moment. Write out what you think you want it to look like. I don't care if it's already like a newspaper ad or whatever. Um, feel free to look at uh, what, what it what needs to look like go to your local printer spend 50 spend 75 dollars get two of them in with the stands and when someone comes in and says hey i need 50 or i want 100 bucks so yeah here's the 100 bucks and by the way here's the sign please bring that back next monday you're going to stick out so not only is your money being committed and yes you're getting advertising but you're sticking out and that is the name of the game of insurance barry if you would close up for us tell us what uh, wrap it up in a minute about uh, what you think or maybe some things that the loyal listeners need to know i I think that insurance is a noble profession, and I thank you very much, Jason, for this opportunity to speak with you and your podcast listeners. Well, fantastic. They're, they're very, very much. And I must say, all of a sudden, you went back to the introverted Barry there. Um, so the uh, now here's what I am going to say. I'm going to wrap it up and say, Barry, thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate your analysis and, 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 and analysis and being an, an... Whew, analyst. Um, Analyst, thank you. My gosh, I'm having trouble here. But anyways, I do appreciate that. And I have to tell you, um, this is bad of me, but I'm just going to be honest because I always am. Sometimes the person who stands in front of me or, or talks to me and tells me that they have 20, 30, 40, 50 years in experience doing this, 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 and that is actually not a plus to me. And I've talked to a lot of agents who are my age and younger or even older who say that's not a plus to me either because sometimes when you tell me something you were doing 10 years ago, I think to the fact that I didn't even know what Facebook was. I also think to back to myself and say I didn't have a smartphone then. So sometimes I can't even remember what it was like before a smartphone, let alone what you were doing. 10 or 15 years ago. This goes to any consultant out there. The thing I love about you, Barry, and I knew this going into this was you don't really fit that mold. Um, 
I think actually every every uh, year that you mentioned of your experience, actually you built it, that foundation. It seems like, I'm serious when I say this, I felt as if I wasn't talking to a veteran insurance professional. I felt as if I was talking to a veteran insurance professional because you have wisdom out the ears. But I also feel as if you really realize what is going on in today's world. And you may think, well, yeah, Jason, I'm in the insurance industry. But Barry, you don't realize. Me and the loyal listeners I listen to a lot of people like yourself, and they usually don't have a damn clue what we're doing. And I think you do. And I appreciate and kudos to you on that. And I think you're going to have still a long career and you're never going to be semi-retired and read those books because you know what's going on today. And I appreciate your time coming on Agents Influence. Thank you very much, Jason. This has been Agents Influence. I got a question. What are you doing October 24th and 25th of 2017? You have no clue, do you? You're thinking, I gotta look at my calendar, or Jason, that's far away. All those answers are acceptable. Except you should know that I'm filling your calendar for you right now, because on October 24th and 25th in Charlotte, North Carolina, Grow Lab 2017 is happening, and that is what you are doing on October 24th, 25th of this year. Yep, you are.